we've been working on uh, putting together this series for uh, several months. And as I was thinking about today's theme, I don't know, I think, it's, I think it may be my favorite in the whole series. And that's largely because it hits me where I am so often on a uh, day-to-day and a week-to-week basis. You know, I just get caught up in the busyness of uh, the ministry that I do, you know, and that's all good stuff. Helping people and preparing messages and leading discussion groups and helping to do, you know, organizational things around the church and meeting with people one-on-one to talk about what's going on in their life and helping them to uh, grow in their relationship with God. And all that stuff is good. Uh, and I'm busy with my, with my family, you know, helping uh, my daughter with her homework, talking to my other daughter, you know, when she's away at school and just seeing what's going on in her life, hanging out and spending time with my wife and just on and on and on and all these different things. But sometimes I don't take the time and stop and slow down and, you know, take the long way home and, and think about my relationship with God, which is kind of weird to say as a pastor, but this was really brought home to me a month or so ago when I fell off my bike and whacked my head and, you know, was told, uh, you know, by the concussion center, you can't do anything. You know, you got to sit there and you can watch TV and that's great for the brain, I guess. I don't know, you know, and, and just rest your mind and rest your body because that's the only thing that's going to help you to get better with your concussion. And it, I was forced to slow down and, you know, smell the roses, so to speak. And it gave me some time to think and pray about my relationship with God. And I realized how easy it is uh, to get out of balance in your spiritual life, just as it is in your physical life and your emotional life and, and your relationships with, with other people. And then you think about, think about this area that we live in, you know, here in, in northern New Jersey, and just compare it to so much of the rest of the country. You know, we, folks are getting up and getting on the train at 530 in the morning, and then, you know, they don't get home. If it's early evening, they get home at 8 o'clock. If it's an early day, you know, 9, 10, 11 o'clock, you're taking the train home. Maybe you get in the town car driving you home at midnight or 1 in the morning. But does that happen in the middle of Iowa? I don't think so, you know. It's different around here. And then even those who aren't commuting into New York, you know, maybe you're, maybe you're uh, home all day and you're not working outside of the home, but it's not like you're sitting around eating bonbons all day long. You got kids to shuttle to different things. You've got, uh, maybe you're, you know, on the board of one or more nonprofits. You're doing volunteer work. You're going to swim meets. You're running the, you know, the soccer team or whatever it is with your kids, you know, the, the parents association with that. I mean, on and on and on and all these different things that we're doing. It's kind of like, I don't know, it's like this area runs on caffeine and adrenaline, you know, and it's exciting. But what happens when you kind of reach the end of your rope? Or you're, you're reaching that point of burnout, or maybe you've crossed over into that. And that's when you realize, all these things that I'm doing are good, but is there that balance in my life? Am I, am I living really the way that I ought to be? Is it sustainable, or should I make some changes? Should I do some things differently in my life so that I can have greater physical and emotional and relational and really ultimately spiritual uh, health and well-being. It's so easy to get caught up in all of the activity that we do 
and lose sight of, of what's really important. And so for me, getting whacked on the head was just a helpful reminder, you know? It wasn't exciting, it wasn't fun, but it was helpful to me uh, in that way. Many years ago, I don't know, 20, 25 years ago, I ran into a concept that has been helpful to me uh, throughout the years and I keep coming back to and I came back to it again in the last month or so that has helped me to think through just priorities and the way I spend my time and the way I spend my life and to, to just achieve some level of balance. And uh, a guy named Stephen Covey, some of you have heard of him, he wrote Seven Habits of Highly Effective People and then a book after that called First Things First. Made a lot of money on this concept. I wish I had come up with it before he did, but lots of people came up with it before him, but he just kind of put it in a way uh, that was helpful. So if you've ever read one of those books, you may be familiar with some of what we're going to talk about for a few minutes here. But take a look on the screen behind me. There's this uh, sort of graphic with four different quadrants, and on the bottom of the scale is talking about things that are important, the level of importance of the activities that we do. And on the left-hand side, urgency goes up, uh, goes up the left-hand side there. So look at that lower left-hand quadrant, stuff that's not important and not urgent. Junk mail, you know, that's sort of like the epitome of what is neither important nor urgent. Yet there are those of us who like opening the junk mail to see what's going on there. Or excessive TV. Now, somebody came up to me after uh, the second service and said, you know, I love watching TV and I feel guilty and, you know, and, and that sort of thing and kind of a confessional kind of a thing that he was doing there. Sometimes watching TV is fine and, and it can be good for us, but when you watch it to excess, you know, when it's just a continual escape, it's saying something's wrong somewhere else in my life if I've got to spend hour after hour watching sort of mindless, uh, mindless TV or mindless internet surfing just as a, as a time waster. And really, that's kind of what this lower left-hand corner is. It's, it's those time wasters. And I think most of us intuitively recognize when we're, when we're wasting time, and we don't really want to live in that lower left-hand quadrant. And most of us don't spend a lot of time there, but we do from time to time, and certainly we want to, want to improve on that. But if you move up uh, the left-hand side from things that are not important and not urgent to things that are still not important, but they are urgent. And uh, a lot of the phone calls that we get would fall into that category. You know, the phone rings and it's urgent because the thing is, is ringing at you or, you know, your Crackberry and it's named that for a reason. You know, it's beeping at you and it's buzzing in your pocket. You ever have the situation and you don't have to raise your hand, but several people have, have mentioned this to me where you sort of have the phantom buzz in your pocket and the Crackberry or the iPhone isn't in there and you can still feel it ringing on your leg. You know, there's, okay, we've got a couple of you laughing on that. So, you know, uh, we can talk about it afterwards. Um, you know, other people's crises, not my crisis, but other people's crises that suddenly become my crisis because they need me to deal with it because they messed up and now I have to go out and, and help them out. Um, a lot of the meetings that we go to, you know, sometimes you want to say to your boss, you know, hello, if we did not hold this meeting, the earth would not stop spinning on its axis. You know, it's urgent but is it really that important? Is the world going to stop simply because we don't have this meeting and you're there, you know, and you're just, it drives you nuts because you know it's not important. And unfortunately, we don't always have a choice. You know, sometimes we have to live in that upper left-hand quadrant, but to the level that we can, you know, to the extent that we can reduce the amount of time that we spend up there, we're going to have greater peace of mind. 
And as I was thinking about uh, today's message, I realized if I could award the Nobel Peace Prize to anybody, I would award it, I think, to the guy who invented caller ID, you know? And a close second would be the person that did the do not call list. You know, I remember when I was a kid, and uh, we didn't have that stuff back then. And, uh, you know, I'm 13, 14 years old. The phone would ring in in the middle of dinner, and, you know, you want to jump up and answer it as a 13 or 14-year-old. But now as a 40-something-year-old, you know, you don't want to, you know, you want the, the peace and quiet during dinner. And so that's why we give our kids cell phones so that they can ring directly to the kids, I guess, during dinner. But, you know, the, the point being, the, that's the quadrant, in a sense, of, of interruptions. It's not our urgency. It's typically somebody else's urgency. So then we move to the upper right, you know, where it talks about what's important and urgent. My family's needs typically fall in there. You know, if my wife or one of my daughters has a need, uh, it's urgent because I want to take care of it. And it's important because they're important to me. You know, that might be uh, going to the soccer game, spending the whole day uh, at the swim meet or the fencing tournament or whatever it is. It may not be directly important to me, but they're important to me. And so I'm happy to spend time up in that quadrant because that's the stuff of life that's really important. And usually uh, it's pretty urgent. At work, uh, you know, our clients the people that we're trying to serve, their needs are important and often they're urgent. You know, the, the client who you're, the, the client you're trying to get calls. You're going to answer the phone because it's urgent, but it's also important because you want to develop and maintain uh, that relationship with them. Uh, some of the projects we're working on, presentation, got to be ready by Tuesday. Otherwise, you know, we may lose the client. So we got to be ready for that. It's important. It's urgent. And that's the area in which we live a lot of our lives. And it's good and it's fine. Uh, and we ought to be doing that. But the one that's really key is that lower right-hand quadrant. Things that are important, but they're not necessarily urgent. That's the, that's the quadrant of, of preparation. That's the quadrant of, of prevention. You know, that's the quadrant of relationship building. It's the quadrant where we develop our health and our well-being, both emotionally and physically. It's the quadrant where we cultivate our spiritual lives. That stuff in that quadrant doesn't cry out. It doesn't scream at the top of its lungs. It doesn't normally, you know, bleed. It doesn't sound an alarm. But that's the quadrant where we grow as people and we gain leverage the more time uh, that we spend in that quadrant. We gain leverage to help us in all of the other quadrants. So that's the quadrant where I work on, on my physical fitness. You know, my running shoes don't cry out to me. But if I never put them on, I may end up with an important and urgent, you know, call at two in the morning because my heart tells me otherwise, you know, whatever, whatever it is for you, that's the quadrant where we want to spend more and more time. And the more time we spend there, the less time we're going to spend, especially on the left-hand side, and we'll even find leverage in that upper right-hand quadrant as well. 
And so this idea, you know, was popularized by Stephen Covey and others, and it's all throughout literature, you know, in the last uh, 20, 30, 40 years. But it really traces its roots back both to the New Testament and arguably even to the Old Testament. And we can find it all throughout, you know, throughout the Bible. Um, And Jesus talked about it. And one of the coolest things is seeing him live it. And for me, as I was preparing this message, I was really drawn uh, to this idea that Jesus spent an awful lot of time in that upper right-hand quadrant. He was doing stuff that was unquestionably important. In fact, I would argue he, he spent no time in the lower left-hand quadrant. He, I don't think he spent any time really in the upper left-hand quadrant. He spent his time all on the right-hand side of this. Everything he did was important. Some of it was urgent and some of it wasn't urgent. But he spent a lot of time up there. He's healing people. You know, and that's important and it's usually pretty urgent. He's teaching people. He's teaching them how to have a relationship uh, with himself and with his heavenly father. He's encouraging them. He's challenging them, you know, and on and on and on. Jesus lived on the earth for, I don't know, 33 years or so. And the first 30 years of his life, we don't know much about what he was doing. But those last three and a half years, if you read through the four gospels, the four biographies of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you'll find that he packed more into three and a half years than many of us pack into a lifetime. And all of it, every minute of it, was time well spent. And the thing about Jesus is the more he helped people, the more they came to him, the more they wanted his help. And we find that, you know, in in our lives as well. You're successful at work. You do a good job. What's going to happen? How are you rewarded? Not with more vacation, you know, but with more work to do. They give you more and more responsibility. And we love that on the one hand, but on the other hand, once in a while, we want to say, could we just please turn it off for a little while so I can have a little peace of mind, I can have a little rest, a little relaxation, so I can recharge my batteries. And so Jesus was faced with the same situation because he was so important to people, because he was so good at what he did, people demanded more and more and more of his time. I want to look at a passage in the Gospel of Luke in chapter 5 and uh, see just an incident in Jesus' life where this is kind of borne out. Luke 5, verses 12 to 16. Well, Jesus was in uh, one of the towns. A man came along who was covered with leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell with his face to the ground and begged him, Lord, if you're willing... You can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. He said, I'm willing, be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. And then Jesus ordered him. He said, don't tell anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Let me just stop for a second here. There are multiple reasons why Jesus said, don't tell anybody, go show yourself to the priest. Um, On the very surface of it, Uh, when you think about what was going on in those days, they didn't have all the medicines and and things that we had. So when someone got leprosy, which actually in this case could mean uh, one of several different skin diseases, it's highly contagious. And so they would sort of have this kind of quarantine system where people would have to stay away from others so that they wouldn't pass on the leprosy to somebody else. But when they thought they were cleansed, when they thought they were clean, when they thought they were healed, they'd go, they'd show themselves to the priest, and if the priest determined that, yeah, the leprosy is indeed gone, then they could be out among other people. And so that's on the surface, that's why Jesus uh, didn't want him to, to tell others. But only just one layer down, the other reason is Jesus knew that if he spread the word, if, if he started talking about what had happened, more and more and more people we're going to start coming to him. And it wasn't time, and he, he needed to, to pace himself and, and, and be careful so they didn't 
do too much because the needs were infinite and ongoing. But if you take a look at verse 15, this is what happened. Yet the news about him spread all the more, so the crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. And this, this story is recorded not just in Luke, but also in Mark, who is one of Jesus' other biographers. And in Mark's description, the, one of the other stories, right in the same section, he talks about a, a, a day when Jesus is in somebody's house and he's kind of doing a little seminar kind of a deal. And all these people are coming to hear him because they had heard about his teaching. And they were excited to be there. There's so many people there that they're kind of like hanging out the windows and listening from the outside and they're flowing out the door and there's just no room. And so uh, this, this one guy was paralyzed and his friends wanted to bring him to Jesus so that he could be healed because he'd heard about stories like this and they wanted him to be healed. They couldn't get in because there was so much of a crowd that what they had to do was climb up on the roof, remove some of the tiles and lower the guy down by ropes in front of Jesus because that was the only way that they could get to him. I mean, this is the kind of lifestyle that Jesus was having on a day-to-day basis. People wanted to be with him because he was meeting their needs And so he was attractive to people in that way. And then I'm just blown away by what he does in verse 16. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Jesus often withdrew to to be by himself, to commune just with God, to focus on his relationship with God, to recharge, in a sense, his spiritual batteries. It's not that he was overwhelmed at that point and he had to escape. What, the, the way Luke words this is he says, this was a habit that Jesus had on a regular basis frequently. And if you read through the gospels, you see it over and over and over again. Jesus would regularly take kind of a spiritual time out and commune with his heavenly father. And Jesus is God, you know? And so you say, what in the world is going on? He's also a human being. And as a man, he needed to do that in order to keep himself focused and aligned and and in right relationship with his heavenly father. And I was just blown away by that because all the stuff he's doing, the healings, the teaching, the miracles, the encouraging, the challenging, the rebuking, the exhorting, none of that was wasted time. All of that was important. Much of it was urgent but yet he was willing to take time to be in that lower right-hand quadrant, that quadrant of of refreshment and restoration and renewal and preparation and prevention and really that, that quadrant where we develop that vital spiritual life, that vital relationship with God. And Jesus did it. And if it's good enough for Jesus... It ought to be good enough for me. And and that's part of what I was going through in the last month or so as I'm thinking through my life and asking, where am I spending my time? And so much of it was in that upper right-hand area. And I realized I needed to spend some more time in that lower right-hand quadrant there so I could be more effective everywhere else in my life. When somebody's in need, you know, and, and we want to help them, Uh, Their need is usually both important and urgent. You know, they cry out for our attention. When my my kids or my wife have a need, uh, they let me know. My running shoes don't, you know. When my car has a need, it lets me know. There's a light on the dashboard that flashes and says, you know, check engine or, or, or whatever it is. And 
too often when that light's flashing, it's because I was living in the upper right-hand quadrant and not the lower right-hand quadrant. Maybe I forgot to change the oil. You know, if you get to that point, you know your car's in, in, in trouble. Um, we neglect that lower right-hand quadrant because it doesn't scream at us the way the upper right-hand quadrant does. And the same thing's true in our spiritual lives. You know, my Bible does not wake me up in the morning, send me a text message and say, read me, read me, you know? And God does not typically, you know, whack me upside the head and say, hey, it's time to pray, okay? You know, let's talk. His voice is usually a lot more quiet than that. And I need to make it a priority to develop my spiritual life, to grow in my relationship with God, just like I need to make spending time with my wife or my kids a priority. If I wait until I get a letter from my wife's lawyer, I probably haven't been living in the lower right-hand quadrant enough, you know? And unfortunately, in human relationships, when you get that letter, sometimes it's too late. But with God, it's never too late. I don't care, you know, God, God says, I don't care whether it's been one year, five years, 10 years, 20 years, your whole life that you've been ignoring me. I'm here, and as soon as you're ready, let me know. I want to begin developing that relationship with you. He never says, sorry, it's too late. If you had done that last week or last month or last year, maybe everything would have been fine, but it's too late now. He never says that. Better late than never in terms of our relationship with God, but better early rather than late because it can make such a difference in our lives on a day-to-day basis. We can have such a, a closer relationship with God and it can pay dividends in every other area of our lives, including our relationships with our spouses, with our kids, with our coworkers, with our clients. It can give us that peace of mind, that, that ability to kind of ride above all the garbage that's going on if we've got that close relationship with God, if we take the time to develop that relationship with him. Most of us recognize the importance of having, you know, say, regular physical exercise, uh, of spending frequent quality time with our loved ones, of taking time off enough to recharge our, our batteries. And the same thing is true in the spiritual realm. Where are you in, in your relationship with God? Are you flourishing? I mean, this is the question I needed to ask myself. And I want to ask you guys, are we flourishing in our relationship with God? Not are we surviving, not is it, you know, acceptable, but is it good? Is it excellent? Is it great? Am I flourishing? Would I say that I have a vibrant and vital spiritual life that's paying dividends, that's making a difference in all the areas of my life, Or is it just simply sort of a Sunday morning activity and there's nothing wrong with coming to church on Sunday mornings? We ought to be doing that. But it's kind of like exercise. Excuse me. If if you were to exercise just an hour a week on Sunday afternoons, how much is that going to help your your physical health? It's going to help it some, but you need that regular daily or at least several times a week physical exercise 
for it to pay those physical dividends. And the same thing's true in our spiritual life. We need to be more than just Sunday mornings because otherwise, you know, you kind of get your, your spiritual gas tank filled maybe on Sunday morning and it's pretty good on Monday and then Tuesday you're wearing down a little bit. By Wednesday, you're beginning to look forward to, you know, the next Sunday and Thursday, Friday, Saturday, you're saying, oh my goodness, you know, it is just not there. So let me encourage you, let me challenge you to make it a priority to spend regular time with God on a daily basis. Maybe just 10 minutes a day. I don't think there's any of us that couldn't find 10 minutes in our schedule, no matter how busy it is, even if it means as you're riding in on the train, you know, you got a 35-minute, you know, ride if you're taking the express, 45 or longer if you're taking the milk train, you know, spend some time, 10 minutes, just praying, reading your Bible, you know, and if, uh, if you don't want to carry a big Bible with you on the train, you can get a Bible app on your iPhone or your uh, much more desirable BlackBerry, you know, and you can read it there, uh, you know, and, and uh, you won't have to be embarrassed or anything like that. And you can pray. People will think you're sleeping, but it'll be, you know, it'll be good for your spiritual health. You could spend that, that 10 minutes. And, and, you know, if you need some other ideas, uh, let me know. If you don't have a Bible, let me encourage you to pick one up in the, uh, in the cafe, in the resource center of the cafe afterwards, and spend just 10 minutes a day, maybe five reading the Bible, five praying. And I think you're going to find that it pays some spiritual dividends in your life. There are 90 days, I counted, uh, left in 2010, and there are 89 chapters in the combination of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the four biographies of Jesus that are at the beginning of the uh, New Testament. And so if you were to read just one chapter a day for the rest of the year, you'd actually have a day off because there's only 89 chapters and in, in, in 90 days there. And that'd be a great way to kind of jumpstart and, and, and grow in your relationship with God, getting to know Jesus through these four biographies. And, and I don't want it to be some sort of a legalistic thing. You have to read one chapter a day and 10 minutes a day and all that. That's not what I'm trying to say. These are just suggestions, ideas for you. If you want to read chapter of Proverbs, if you want to read a, 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 a a paragraph a day, whatever it happens to be. Let me just encourage you to devote some time to developing that spiritual relationship, to living in that lower right-hand quadrant spiritually because so often we spend so little time there and we need to spend more time. So wherever you are in your spiritual journey, whether you're just starting out or whether you've been a follower of Jesus, you know, really your whole life, I want to encourage you, I want to challenge you to spend time on a daily basis developing your relationship with God. And if you do, I think you'll find that it's going to pay dividends, not just in your spiritual life, but in, in really throughout your whole life. It's, you know, in a sense, taking the long way home there is going to help us to find peace of mind, not just spiritually, but also uh, throughout our lives. I want to encourage you to do that. Give it a try, even just for a, a week or a month, and then let me know how it goes, because I think you'll find it to be helpful. Let me pray for us. Father, I thank you for this example of, of Jesus and what he did, and, and just the way in which, in the midst of all the business and all the good stuff he's doing, he never wasted a minute. Everything he was doing was important, yet he took time to step back 
and to focus on his relationship with you. And Father, I pray for myself. I pray for each of us here that we would make it a priority just as we make our physical health a priority, just as we make our relationships with other people a priority. I pray that we would make our relationship with you a priority. And I pray that as we do, we would grow closer to you. We would be more and more at peace We'd be more and more living the way that you would have us to live. And I pray that, as you have shown us, it would pay dividends in other areas of our lives as well. So, Father, I pray that you would work in our hearts to give us the desire. I pray that you'd give us the discipline to do this. And I pray that you would work uh, just incredibly in our lives as we spend time with you. May we grow in our love for you and our desire to serve you. And may we bring glory to you. In Jesus' name, amen.